Hello, hello, my friends. I am Jenny Lin, and this is my show. I am a wife and mom to two kids. I have struggled with many chronic illnesses for several years. I have a passion to find out as much as I can and navigate through life, not always feeling 100%. I spend many hours each week listening to podcasts and researching things like what is dry brushing? Does it really make a difference? I know you're busy. That's why I'm here. You have questions and I have the answers. And let's not forget about the incredible woman you were before you had kids. She's still in there, just begging to be found. I am here to create a safe, non-judgmental space for like-minded women. So let's empower each other. I am so happy you're here. Now, let's jump into the 123 Mom Squad podcast with me, Jenny Lynn. Hi, friends. Let me take a quick minute and thank our very first show sponsor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. It's so easy, even I can do it. Trust me, that means you can do it too. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hi friends, how are you? I hope you're doing well and wherever you are, you guys are getting in the holiday spirit. We have some snow on the ground here in Buffalo, New York. And for those of you that are local, I hope you're staying warm and driving safe out there. So now we are a few episodes into the podcast, and I am very happy that you're all here. I've realized that now having a few episodes in that I wanted to tell you a little bit about my journey and what has brought me here to share with you all and hopefully resonate with somebody out there that might be in similar situations. When I'm talking to you guys, I don't really have a script. I do write down just a few notes and a timeline of possibly what I do want to mention. Just bear with me. Hang on. My brain sometimes tends to take a fork in the road. I'm sure some of you can relate. I just don't want to lose my train of thought. I just hope that whatever you guys are doing, wherever you are, that you feel happiness within yourself and happiness within deep within your soul, because that is truly what gets you by on a daily basis it is your own happiness for yourself because once you have other little people that you have to take care of they say it's not about you anymore to a certain degree it might not be about you but there's still you you're still you and you have to take care of you if you want to take care of tiny little humans that grow up to be bigger humans than you at 12. I'm not quite sure how far back to go, but I'm I'm going to go back to high school, which is where I remember the start of a lot of my health issues began. I'm a sophomore in high school. It is about 1995, possibly. I was on a cruise with my family and we went on a carnival cruise. I believe it was our first, our first trip. It was pretty fun. I don't know if you guys have been on any cruises, but the all you can eat is amazing. 
They are a ton of fun. After the cruise was done, I think we only did like three day or four day, three night, whatever it was. And we're waiting for our um, deck to be called to, to disembark the, the ship. I felt this complete something took over my body. Like somebody just covered me in some sort of a thick, thick blanket that prevented me from moving. It was the worst feeling I've ever felt being, I think I was about 15. I can't even explain it. It was just really bad. We, it took hours going off of these ships and doing deck by deck. It's hours. At least that's how I remembered it. It was, we were just sitting there with our luggage, just waiting for our, our deck to be called. And I remember just leaning up against the wall or next to our luggage and just looking up at my parents, just saying, I am ridiculously exhausted. I am so tired. I couldn't even keep my head up off of my shoulders. I was so just physically worn out. My father, I think, ended up either helping me off or carrying me off of the ship, honestly. So when we got back home, I believe we went to my pediatrician at the time and they ran some labs. Turns out I had mono. So I had mono and it kind of, it just, it knocked me out. I had a pretty severe case of it. I do remember it coming back where my liver was not functioning well. I'm not quite sure which, I know there's different types of hepatitis. Honestly, I don't remember which one. But it was during the school year, so I couldn't go to school because I just, I couldn't even stand up for more than an hour. I just, I couldn't even make it through the day. So I had a tutor that came in and I remember it was about six months. I had to take exams. It was after school let out. I couldn't go in to the gymnasium to take the exams with the rest of my classmates. I had to come in at a separate time and take them myself. I feel like a lot of it started there. After I realized I had mono, I realized that I couldn't expect so much from myself. At the time, I was still dancing. Now, I had danced since I was three years old. It was my life. I did all the competitions and did some traveling. But if my body would allow me to dance, I, I still would love to be dancing somehow, some way. I always wanted to dance in the Disney parades. That was a dream of mine, but my body thought otherwise. But I can dream, right? So in any event, after I had mono, I had to quit dancing and it was tough. It was tough for me mentally to realize that I just couldn't do it anymore. A lot of people didn't believe that I was feeling like this, just this chronic fatigue and exhaustion. It was mentally hard. It was mentally hard because adults didn't believe me as well. So after about a year after I had mono, I was starting to feel a little bit better. I joined the track team at my high school and I really enjoyed running. I did some cross country. It was fun. I definitely um, don't run for fun right now. Only if a bear is chasing me, will I run. I remember sitting, having dinner with a friend. I was a senior in high school, having this God awful pain in my side. It was absolutely horrendous. I ended up getting a CT scan with some contrast, and I ended up having kidney stones. Now, they say the kidney stones are hereditary. I know that they're more common now. Quite a lot of people get them. But they also found out through my scan that I have medullary sponge kidney. I guess something that I was born with. It is a thickening of the walls within the kidneys. It is in both of mine, and it 
it traps a lot of the fluid. So everything that I eat or any type of acid from foods gets stuck, which creates my stones. I am constantly battling these stones. If you would ask my father, he tries to make a joke of it and says, how's your rock garden going there, Jen? Yeah, very funny, Dad. Ha. So I had my first ever lithotripsy, which is just, you just lay on a table and you stick your butt in some water and they blast your back with lasers. And that's it. They break it up. They break up the stones so that it's easier to pass. Through the years, I've had probably a dozen lithotripsies as well with ureteroscopies, which is when the stone gets stuck in the ureters, your urine cannot pass through the right way. So that's what can cause the severe pain. I was making multiple trips to the emergency room at the time. I would be throwing up in the waiting room because the pain was just so significant. So at that point, I have had lots of pain meds. I was becoming very familiar with a lot of the meds and the prescriptions that I was sent home with. I was starting to know the pain within my body. But regardless, it was a nightmare because I just felt that I couldn't get through a day or a week not knowing if I was going to make it with or without any type of pain. Tylenol wouldn't touch any type of my pain, ibuprofen, all of that. Nothing would touch this kind of pain. So I stayed away from it. But my pain tolerance through the years is pretty high. All right, so now I'm out of high school. Now I know I've got kidney stones. I've had mono. And now with feeling chronically fatigued all the time, my primary suggested I see a rheumatologist. So they ran several labs. I just had some little B12, D, iron, but it was several years later in several labs and specialists later that I was diagnosed with lupus. My mother also has lupus and that can be hereditary as well. It is just another immune deficiency disease and there are two different types of lupus. One can attack your blood and the other can attack your phones. We're just going to fast forward a little bit to my 30s, or I should say the later years of my 20s. I started having some GI issues. It just stemmed from a lot of bloating and just abdominal pain, cramping, the general GI stuff. And then all that they tell you is, yeah, you have IBS. All right, all right, half the world has IBS. And a lot of that is caused by stress. And I definitely hold on to a lot of my stress. As a parent, I have learned to try to be more patient and tolerant. All right, we are in my mid-20s. And I found and fell in love with my husband. We dated for about a year. We got engaged. And four months later, we were married. Yes, it happened quick. But it was meant to be. I was 27. So in any event, I have been on birth control for, let's see about that time, probably 11 to 12 years. After we got married, I stopped taking my birth control because I did want to start a family. And I was already in upwards of my late 20s. And I, I didn't want to go too far into my 30s because I knew that there would be more risks involved. And with my health issues happening, I, I didn't want to take any risks. 
So I stopped my birth control the day we got married. Three months later, I was pregnant. Now, this is where a lot of my mental trauma hits. So my husband was turning 40 in February. I had found out that I was pregnant at like the end of November, I believe, that year. And I, I didn't tell him because I thought it would be an awesome surprise to tell him at his 40th birthday party that I had planned, that I was planning. So at the time, only my mom knew. She was really excited. And it was, it was awesome. We were, the both of us were like in complete shock. It was amazing. I was so very happy to, to start a family that I had been dreaming about all my life. I had always wanted to be a mom. I started planning his 40th. His birthday was beginning of February. I invited his family, some friends. We had a small party at Dave and Buster's and we just had a little party room and then we did some bowling. It was, it's a fun place. I don't remember what I did, but I want to say I wrapped like frames that said, like one said you, the other one said R, and then the next one said going to, and then the next one was going to say be a daddy or did I have a t-shirt? You know what? Honestly, I don't even remember what it was. But anyways, everybody was there. We were all watching and he unwrapped the last one and it, it says you are going to be a daddy. Yay. We were all happy. Everybody was shocked. Oh my gosh, Jenny's pregnant so fast. It was quite the excitement and I couldn't have been happier. Now, it was about a week or two before that I did go in to have an ultrasound and everything was great. I had scheduled another ultrasound after the party, so obviously he could be there to experience it. We went in on a Monday after his party. The technician came in and started the ultrasound. And I could tell by the look on her face that something was not right. My heart dropped immediately. I looked into my husband's eyes and I don't think we wanted to make eye contact with one another because we knew what was happening. So the tech went to go get the doctor and the doctor came in. And he put the little scope, whatever it is, on my stomach and looked at me and said, I'm sorry, but we can't find the baby's heartbeat. At that point, the world, as I knew it, froze. Everything in me quit working. You know how, have you ever had that feeling when something is just so awful or some news is so awful that everything just time just slows down to the point where you're like in this big bubble. I didn't look at him. I didn't look at my husband. I couldn't look at the tech. I, I just went, Oh, Oh, what do you say? And for anybody who is out there that is a tech and has to tell the woman that they can't find the heartbeat, I am so sorry because I can't imagine having that type of responsibility and feeling feeling that that sadness. So I got cleaned up. I went in the bathroom to change. I didn't say a word. Nobody said a word. It was just, I, I don't even, I don't have the words for it, honestly. So I had come back. We, we worked together for our family business. We have a trucking company that my father started when I was little. 
after we got married, my husband started working for us. So we all worked together. We all came back to work. And our secretary at the time, I remember walking in and she goes, how did it go? Was it so exciting? And I looked at her and I just shook my head. And I don't know if my husband said it didn't go well or somebody said something, but I gathered my belongings and I left. I went home. I cried my eyes out. I, I didn't know what to do, how to feel, how to act. Because you try and do everything right when you want something so bad. I stopped drinking coffee. I was having a little bit of hot chocolate or, or nothing. I stopped. wasn't a big drinker, but I stopped right away. I was never a smoker. You blame yourself. You, there's no way around it. And I know there's so many women out there that have gone through this. And it takes such a mental and physical toll on you because you blame yourself for everything. What did I do? Why did this go wrong? What could I have done anything different? And you just say, why? So it was a Monday after we had found out what was going on. And I went in the next day to see my OBGYN and she was very rude and short with me. I, I don't know how it was. Like I had called the week before and I had a little bit of bleeding. But sometimes they say that's just part of the egg and whatever this and that. But so I come in and she says, yeah, we had a feeling that was going to happen because of the bleeding. And she was just very nonchalantly, very coldly just told me that. I'm like, dude, just lost my baby. Can you have a little bit of sympathy here? And it's hard because... My baby would have been born in September. I was born in September. There's always these what ifs. Was it going to be a boy? Was it going to be a girl? What would have happened? We scheduled a DNC to happen because I was about 10, 11 weeks pregnant. At that point, it was a Tuesday. They couldn't take me till Saturday. Okay, so now I'm sitting in my house. I couldn't go to work because I just couldn't face anybody. So I sat on my couch with my dog and watch TV all day. Saturday couldn't get here quick enough. Thinking that I'm moving around with this dead baby inside of me. It was so hard mentally to grasp that concept and what had just happened to me. That was the first major trauma in my life. And still to this day, it's something that I just, I, I, I do think about all the time. Sorry, I don't want to get emotional, but it, it definitely does still bother me. I went in on the Saturday with my husband and my mom. And I remember being wheeled away and waving to them and just thinking in my head, next time that they see me, I'll be minus one. And that kind of just hit me. So again, to any women out there that have gone through this, I am so sorry. And just know that there was absolutely nothing that you could have done or could have changed or there's nothing that you did that made this happen. I turned to faith because what else can you turn to when something like this happens? And say, you know what? God had different plans. God had different plans for me, had different plans for our family. So. I learned to accept that. 
And that for me was enough to move forward. What I did to get past this was I wrote a letter to my unborn child. I wrote a letter and I put it in a little box with the ultrasound picture. And I gave it to my mom. Honestly, I don't know what she did with it, if she still has it, but I told her to bury it. It was my way of releasing that emotion. It was my way of letting it go. I finally took that emotion off of my shoulders and out of my head to to realize that it's okay. And you know what? It's okay because obviously it wasn't meant to be. Do you guys know that song by Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers? There are a lot of situations within my life that... I turned to that song. Even growing up through high school with high school breakups and and everything like that, I would turn that song on and you thank God for unanswered prayers. Meant a lot in just those couple words because if it was meant to be, it would be. Okay, now I sound like Florida Georgia Marina BB Rexa. You probably know that song too, right? I'm not going to get into it because good Lord, you do not want to hear me sing. So when me and my husband were ready to try again. It wasn't for another six months or so that I was emotionally in the right space to try again. But after six months, I was pregnant again. And let me tell you, this time around, I held my breath every single day. It was the longest nine months to get through. Every appointment, Every ultrasound, every scan and every test and blood work and lab and everything that I had to go through was a mental nightmare for me. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't want to get any bad news. I couldn't handle anymore. I didn't, I wouldn't know what to do until my baby was born and I heard, I heard the cry. Then I knew that I was finally going to be okay. So we went in for the ultrasound to find out the sex of the baby. And we found out that we were having a little girl. My heart exploded because I think that every mom wants a little girl and she was gonna be my princess. And now my princess is 12. My OB was going to be out of town for a week into my last week of my pregnancy. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You go through all of these weeks with your doctor and then you think, oh my gosh, if he's not going to be around, we ended up scheduling the delivery. The delivery was going to be March 24th of 2009. Now that day was very important to me because my late grandfather and my father's side was also born on that day. So it, it, it meant a lot. And I was happy that she was going to be born on his birthday. So I go in and they had to start me on some Pitocin to start having some contractions and start labor. It was super early, of course, when I went in there, sitting on a yoga ball. The contractions started like right away. But I was doing okay. I was doing okay. Come around two, two o'clock-ish, the contractions were getting pretty bad. At that point, I couldn't walk around much. I was in the bed. So they decided to give me the epidural. Man, that is the weirdest feeling to not have feeling in your legs and not being able to move your toes. It was just the bizarrest thing I've ever been through. I started having 
these contractions, they were becoming more frequent as time passed. Now we're into the evening hours. Nothing was really happening. So they ended up breaking my water. I was just starting to get into a lot of pain. Still, I was just feeling a lot. I still wasn't dilated. I think I was only like eight centimeters. So the doctor wanted me to start pushing and told me that sometimes you can push through that last centimeter. My mom and my husband were in the room with me. And I remember, I think, trying to push just a couple times, but nothing was happening. And so the doctor checks the fetal heart monitor and looked at it strangely. And it made me really nervous. He said, all right, nothing is happening. We're going to need to get this baby out now. So now it's like approaching the nine o'clock hour. I had been in labor for over 12 hours with these constant contractions and nothing was really happening. So we need to get her out. They wheel me into the OR. My husband is a little nervous. He just, he wasn't saying much. I wasn't sure what was going through his mind. So they quickly took me in and set up the IVs and everything like that. They draped the little sheet over and within six minutes, she was out. She was crying. It was the best feeling and the most emotional like rush of adrenaline. She came out at 9.06, which to me, I don't know if you're like a guru like that, but my birthday is September 6th and she came out at 9.06, which I thought was cool. She's six pounds and 12 ounces and absolutely perfect and had a full head of black hair that used to be called her the Pocahontas. She like literally did. I will have to post pictures of her being a baby. Her hair was past her ears, not even joking. But so she was out. My husband goes to take pictures of her and I have this great big smile on my face. And then I remember this feeling of just something wasn't right. Something didn't feel right within my body. And then all of a sudden, all these doctors start moving around the room and talking. And all of a sudden, my husband comes back to the right side of my arm and another doctor comes in and puts another IV in my left arm now. And you're, you're strapped to the table, right? I was so nauseous. I'm actually throwing up, like turning my head on the table, throwing up on the side because of the pain that I was in. I was bleeding and a lot. You could see the gauze just saturated in the blood and they put it in this little like pack on the wall so that's there all the gauze pads are accounted for and the doctors are just rushing around trying to stop the bleeding and we didn't know what was going on my husband again didn't say anything I'm looking to him to say something but he was in complete shock I don't think that he knew what was going on so at this point there was another nurse that came in to the left side of my arm and just was telling me, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're going to be all right. Everything is okay. And she looked over at my husband and would say, tell her that she's doing, that she's doing good. And I think he was just frozen with fear. So apparently my uterus was attached to the sac or something like that. So when they went to cut me open, it cut through something. I don't know what it was called. I don't really remember. And I still to this day don't really know the full story of what had happened or what went wrong but they couldn't stop the bleeding they were manually pumping my uterus to make it stop bleeding 45 minutes of laying in this operating room the docs were still working on me 
I remember looking at the clock that was right in front of me and just watching the second hand slowly tick by. And I remember saying to myself, Jenny, don't close your eyes. If you close your eyes, you might not wake up. And I had never felt that close. I don't want to say death, but I had, I really didn't feel like I was going to make it through that. And all I could remember or all I could think at that time was I cannot let my husband raise our daughter by himself. I have to make it. I have to be strong and I have to be here for her. I kept my eyes open and I just, I, I, I just prayed. I prayed so hard. That's all I thought about was the doctor holding her up and seeing her for the first time. So I had that image in my head. I just remember that feeling of like this happiness to sadness and all of these emotions run through my body all at the same time. And I didn't know how to feel. So I did, I made it. They were going to put a balloon in my uterus, but they ended up stopping the bleeding. I ended up in the ICU for a day and a half. They, they kept me there. And I, I remember wanting to breastfeed. That was my goal. I, I wanted to breastfeed my child, but I was so weak. I couldn't hold her. I couldn't hold her up to myself to even want to try. So the nurses had to bottle feed her. So after I was out of the ICU unit, they, they took me to the regular labor and delivery floor and I tried again and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was just too weak. So another day went by and my blood levels um, were just not where the doctor wanted them to be. So I ended up having a blood transfusion. I needed two liters of blood and I finally did feel better after that. But that was a little scary. I think that anything foreign that's not yours going into your body makes you question anything. But thank you to all those that do donate blood. Thank you. I am O negative, so I know that I'm rare. And thank you to whomever was out there caring enough so that I am here today to raise my family. After that, I chose to just make the decision that was best for me and best for my child at the time that I just had to bottle feed my child. It wasn't a couple days till I could actually have the strength to hold her and pick her up and stand up and change her little diaper. My gosh, she was so teeny tiny. I just absolutely loved it. The nurses kept her for a couple nights so I could get some rest. Not that you get much rest for anybody who spent the night over at a hospital. Every two hours they come in and take your vitals and I had staples in my stomach. Oh my gosh. And they wanted to get all the blood out of my body so they would just press on me on the incision site. It was... Oh my God, the pain. Dear God, I hope nobody has to ever go through that. After I was finally feeling better and I went home, I decided to go home and spend the first few days with my parents at my parents' house so that if I needed help, my mom was there to help me with her. So we had a little bassinet on the side of in my old room. I remember having her there and I remember my husband being so scared when she had the hiccups through the night he didn't know what to do he like would stop breathing he's oh my god she can't breathe i'm like it's okay she's just got the hiccups dude it's all right but so every like couple hours you had to wake the baby up to feed them make sure that they're eating right and i had to take my pain meds and but we were doing okay 
it was still a little hard. It took me a while to start walking the right way and realizing that you're not really supposed to lift too much, but lifting your baby is okay. But you're a mom now. And that was the moment that it wasn't about me. So my life at that point was dedicated to her and my family. And I just loved every minute of it. She really was my little doll. I want to say about a week later, we went back home. Now, at that point, I was selling my house and we were building a house next to my parents. We have some acreage and we are close to one another. So we were also building a house through the winter months when my daughter was born, which was crazy. So we sell the house and I believe she was, let's see, three months old. I think she was only three months old when we ended up moving into our new home. So it was awesome getting to decorate her room. And of course, it had to be pink. Everything was so girly. It was adorable. I loved every second of it because it had been my dream my whole life to have this little doll. And she was in every aspect of the word, for those of you who know her. And so we started our family. And four months go by. And guess what? Jenny's pregnant again. Oh, yeah. That's right. Four months later. Mm-hmm. We knew we wanted a second child, but we did not plan on having them close together. So this time around, I knew that I just I was going to have a scheduled C-section. I wasn't messing around with anything like that. And I had a son. Everything luckily went as planned with his delivery. He came out as an eight-pound baby. He is um, not a big boy now. He is my little string bean full of piss and vinegar. And tests our tolerance every single day as little boys may. Oh, my boy, I'll tell you. Kill me. But, but yeah, so I have a healthy and happy girl and boy, and they are 14 months apart. It was definitely trying for quite a few years, the first few years with naps and feedings. Luckily, my mom being next door and my grandmother were there to help me just feed one while I was trying to put down the other. It was crazy. So I had to have my tubes tied when I was in surgery with my son. He ended up being a little bit of a strain on my kidneys. So I see a specialist for my kidneys every year. So right now I'm doing well with my kidneys. Everything is well. And that's great. So I realized that here we are, however many minutes into this podcast, and it has been probably emotional for you, for me, retelling this story. But I'm glad that I was able to get that out because it helps me and maybe it can help anybody out there that has gone through any type of similar experience. And I just hope that whatever it is that you are going through or if you currently are going through a traumatic experience that just know you will get through this. You just have to take it day by day and I know you've probably heard that a thousand times, but if a day seems too much and too long, then you just take it hour by hour and you will get through this. And they say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yes, but you have to be able to learn from that experience and why it happened to you. Are you going to learn from that experience? It's up to you as to how you're going to handle, how you're going to the outcome of what that traumatic experience has brought to you and how are you going to create a better life for yourself in a better future for you and your family 
It's up to you to do that. It's nobody else's responsibility but yours to create your own happiness in your life. And until you realize that, you'll never fully be able to move forward or to move past what it is that you're dealing with. Once you realize that, I think that everything becomes a little bit more clear. It's taken me several years to realize that I'm the only one that is truly responsible for my happiness and my health. It's up to nobody else. And whether you say, yeah, okay, there's doctors and whatever, but you know what? It's up to me to see the doctors. And I have tried many different types of holistic paths as well. And those are going to be in future episodes, what has maybe worked for me and what hasn't. But I just want to let you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and we all need a little bit support. So I'm here for you to let you know that it is possible to get there. You just have to realize that it's going to be a bumpy road, but the light is there and it's better on the other end. So just stay positive. You got this. We all got this. Reach out to someone that you can trust, someone that you can talk to that just isn't there for advice, maybe, but just to listen. I was told in a parenting group that I belong to on Facebook, sometimes your teenager may not want to talk to you to look for advice, but rather than to just be there to listen. And that really hit me. But it doesn't work just with your teenager, but with a friend. Because sometimes when you say, okay, I, I'm here, you can talk to me. I think inclined as a human or as a caregiver, it's just something that is in our nature to want to give advice to help people get through what it is that they're going through. But maybe sometimes a person just needs to be listened to and to just feel somebody next to them that they're there and not necessarily giving advice. And some people, I do tend to do this, I admit this, I tend to say, somebody says, if I was talking to another woman about, say, a miscarriage, and then I would be like, yeah, I, I know what you're going through. Mine was, and then you turn it on to your story when they just wanted you to hear their story. So sometimes you just have to hold back and bite your tongue a little bit because in life, we don't always need to be there for advice. You just need to be that person that somebody can turn to. And so just be that person today. That's why they say, you know what? A kind smile goes a long way because it just makes you feel good. And you don't even have to know the person, right? Maybe just a gentle wave or just a smile. And I know it's hard now behind our masks and everything, but people can feel when you're welcoming or when you're just being cold or shut down. But try and open yourself. There is good out there, but you have to put good out there to receive the good back. I do genuinely believe that the more gratitude and generosity that you give, it will come back to you. We are all caregivers to some degree. So let's nurture each other and ourselves. For every time you try and nurture another human, you should be nurturing yourself. And it doesn't have to be like yourself out for a massage or whatever. Nurture your soul. 
what makes you happy? What makes you light up inside? Is it just a simple bath with a candle and gentle music or just reading a good motivational book with some of your favorite quotes? It can be anything simple. It can be five minutes of downtime. Go sit in your car in the garage and rock out to some 90s hip hop that you used to be clubbing to. Do some, just something that's good for your soul that makes you smile from the inside out because we all need to recharge our batteries. I always go to car analogies because it's something I, I know. But you can't expect a car to run when there's no gas in it. So you got to fill it up. Your battery, think of your heart as the battery within your soul, within like the car. If your battery is dying inside, it's not going to run. It may run, but it's not going to be at its best. So why do we forget about ourselves? Why is it that we can't charge our own batteries? The quote, you can't pour from an empty cup. We cannot take care of others if we cannot take care of ourselves. And that goes beyond our health. It goes right into our mind because if we don't have that positive mind, if we are just constantly thinking about the negative emotions and how they affect us and affect others, it's going to take a toll on our health. The more positively that your mind works, it is going to reflect positively on your health, your mind, and the way that you just carry yourself. Let the light shine in. Accept help and support from others if they're offered it to you. Don't be that person. I was so that person. When I was raising my kids when they were little, people would always say, oh, I'm here if you need a, if you need me. I'm here if you need help. And I just was like, dude, I got this. I can totally take care of my house, my dogs, my two kids, and myself. I got this. No, you don't. Or you may, but you're a mess. And you're not a mess on the, on the outside. You're a mess on the inside. And you can go ahead and be like, no, I wasn't. I was all this happy-go-lucky mom. And when you went home at night and tried to close your eyes, you were just mentally, physically, and emotionally drained. You just had nothing left to give. You know what? It's okay to have help. That's why we have each other. That's why we have friends and a community of others. Reach out to those that are there. It's okay to do that. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and end this episode because I believe it's a little bit more than I wanted to get out there, but I hope you got something from this. But I just wanted to give you guys this link. How well do you know yourself? Okay, how well do you truly know yourself? This is a personality quiz. There's many of them out there, but this one is free because a lot of them you do have to pay for. This personality test, it's a free test. It's called 16personalities.com. Okay. It is a quite lengthy test, but it goes into many different areas. And I'll tell you what, you don't realize how much you don't know about yourself until you take a quiz like this. And something like this is important for close people within your life. Have your significant other do it. Maybe your kids, depending on their age, your close family members that you may see, because you learn a lot about them as well as yourself and how you guys can relate to one another. I can go into that within the next episode. I'll tell you a little bit about what my, I guess my biggest part of me is a defender. I'm a caregiver by nature. That's just me. 
And that's why I'm here to offer you this advice. You know what? I started this and then I did the personality test. And then I realized, yeah, this is what I meant to do, guys. Meant to be here giving you my message. I just hope that you accept these messages. And anybody that is out there struggling mentally, physically, you can get through this. And just know you're not alone. We got this together. With that being said, I hope you guys have an amazing week. Take care of your souls. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you all for being here. See you next time. Have an incredible day, my beautiful ladies. And yeah, I'm talking to you.